Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. Hey, 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 we are back with the Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. I am Charlie Carden, Trek Lord of West Michigan, your humble servant commanding officer of the USS Grand Petoskey right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And as always, I am joined by my stalwart co-host from the Windy City, the famous trekker of the Screen Rant nobility, <laughs> uh, Jen Watson. Jen, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, good to have you. And a, a familiar voice to those who listen to the network, but a very dear gentleman and friend of mine, also an SFI guy heading up the USS Rhapsody in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Let's give a warm Code 47 welcome to Mr. Aaron Wow, how did I just forget your last name, my friend? It's okay. Hemminger. Aaron Hemminger. I knew it. I knew it. Aaron <laughs> Hemminger. Uh, who that's bad because you're you know you're an officer under my command, I guess. But I but first names, first names. Mm. And uh, in some Starfleet uniforms, people wear name tags, so that helps. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, no, it's uh it's awesome to have you. Thank you. Um, and it's awesome to be here in general. I've been off the mic uh for about two weeks. Uh if you listen to Todd's very short SFU recording earlier this week, uh, I was not able to join him. I found out on uh, last week, Saturday, uh, when he was going to record because he was leaving Minnesota uh, to be with uh, family for over a week uh, here in Michigan, uh, that I had COVID and I could barely speak. Uh, so I missed that. I missed recording uh, with Peter for our Patreon, which I'll be making up. But I'm glad I didn't miss this because, you know, you know, Code 47 is my baby. It's what I do. Um, so I'm just, I'm glad to be back. Uh, if I go into a fit. I will hand it over to one of you guys. Um, but yeah, let, let's dig into it. But we'll dig into it right after we talk about our fantastic patrons, which I just mentioned. These are the uh, folks who give us the opportunity to make great extra content. I mentioned uh, a recording I'm doing uh, with Peter, who's a regular on the show, who's not with us this week. He and I are currently talking about Ron Moore's Battlestar Galacto, which is a personal favorite of mine. Jen and I have talked about Sequest DSV, which we're going to get back to and talk uh, uh, about a little bit more. And Aaron, I may have to hit you up uh, with the concept of the show, uh, mm. which is, by the way, you choose a classic series, you choose a season from that series, you choose three or four episodes, and then you just break them down. Uh, so we can talk about that kind of offline. But anyway, want to give some love on the Friends with Benefits level to Corey and HG, John Sedorf, the awesome Phoenix Sisters cosplay, Brendan Myers, uh, over on the BFF level, our top tier, Sean Stella and Henry Nias from the Twin Cities, my dear friend, Missy Merchant, a frequent contributor to this program, and Andy Milliken. Thank you, everybody. Remember, you can visit patreon.com slash secretfriendsunite to do a free one-week trial uh, of our service and see what you think about what we do. And if you like it, please consider sticking around. All right. Commercial portion of the show is over. Uh, we're going to skip past the news because I didn't really find anything super hardcore unless you guys were thinking about anything. Jen, did I miss anything new or new or up and coming when it comes to the news that you wanted to jump in with? You've you, you got wild eyes like you're like, oh, huh! I don't think so. No, I don't think okay. so. We talked about Prodigy coming back on Christmas last time. Yep. 
So, yeah, I, I know there was an interview out there with it. with Tawny talking about Starfleet Academy, but I don't think it's anything super firm. So the good news is, is that the wheels are starting to turn again. It's my understanding that in the the industry in general, uh, things well, are coming. The world has their filming window set. Oh, very good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There you go. As I was about to say, filming windows yeah. are starting to get established. Writers' rooms are humming again. So uh, very likely that will have some decent news for you uh, in the near future. But uh, we are beginning our uh, segment one, uh, Shuffle of a Drought, uh, because we don't have new content <laughs> to talk about. But what's kind of cool is that Jen had this idea uh, some time back uh, to talk about this very topical topic <laughs> that had a lot to do with with what we were just talking about a moment ago with writers rooms returning from strike with the actors returning from strike um and as we move forward uh between now and a time when uh star trek discovery will be upon us which is something that we're really hoping for um we will have some other things to talk about so we're we as a team are discussing that so we'll get back to you about this but in the meantime we're going to call segment one special feature this yeah. week. And I'm going to actually turn this one over to Jen because it was her idea. And what's interesting is that it fits in directly to segment two, which we will segue to uh, after we're done it talking does. about this. So Jen, please take it away. So when the strikes had started and there was a lot of sort of floundering about de de debating what we were going to talk about, whether we were going to be covering the currently airing shows, if that was going to be a violation of the picket line or anything like that, I said, well, maybe we should discuss one of the older shows. And because, uh, of course, Star Trek has a wealth of older shows to discuss, and we do do that in our segment, too. But if we could put a special feature on an episode that tied in directly with why the strikes are happening. And that is uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, episode Bar Association, um, which is season four, episode 16. Season four? Yes. Season 16? Yeah. Okay. And so like I said, we'd actually be discussing this week. That's a, yeah, that's that's what I said exactly. Oh, so this crazy. this is actually one of uh, six yeah. episodes that fits right. I, and I didn't realize that when you proposed it. I think it's just uh, it's 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 kismet. It's what was supposed yeah. to be. So so segment one and segment two are kind of this big globule this week. But we're yeah. paying extra special emphasis. Uh, to this, to, yeah. To Bar Association. So we're going to be discussing that first instead of sort of out of order with the with the rest of the DS9 season four episodes that we have on the docket for today. Um, and I wanted to, again, pay special attention to this one. Um, season four, episode 16, Bar Association, uh, directed by LeVar Burton, with a story by Barbara J. Lee and Jennifer A. Lee, teleplay by Robert Hewitt, Wolf and Ira Stephen Bear aired uh, February 17th, 1996. And it's, you know, Quark being up to his old Ferengi tricks, um, coming up with some new Ferengi tricks, which is what NFT actually stands for is new Ferengi tricks. Sidebar. <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> sidebar. Uh, but it's, he's mistreating Rom and, um, Rom gets sick, he can't work, and Quark is like, I'm going to dock your pay, all this terrible stuff. And it comes to um, Dr. Bashir and Miles O'Brien, who suggest that Rom forms a union, uh, which is illegal under Ferengi law, and they go on strike. He forms the, uh, the association, I, he forms a... Uh, a union of the restaurant and bar workers association in um, 
uh, with the other employees of Quark's Bar. Uh, Lita helps him out with this a lot. This is a really important step for the relationship of Rom and Lita, which right. is great. We C- yeah, because she's that on lower decks a little bit, right? And she's still with Bashir at this point, which happens. Yeah. Uh, until I think early season five is when they yeah. end up breaking it off. Yeah, and the in the the Riza episode, which uh, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought that it was just it's it's this really topical. It discusses the importance of forming a union and why you form a union and how that really has a lot to do with the values that Star Trek espouses, which is, you know, treating people as people and not as expendable and replaceable. It's uh, having compassion for people and um, realizing that we are all connected and that we all rely on each other and everyone's important uh, to making the society work. Um, There's value in every person and in what they do. And when Cork doesn't see that, which I think he does, but I think that he's so entrenched in Ferengi custom that he's feeling like he has to do these things and he has to act this way in order to be seen as successful. Uh, I see Aaron, you're nodding. Here, oh, yeah. You have something mm-hmm. to uh, jump in and chime in with. Oh well, no. I was saying, yeah, you're you're absolutely uh, right because at his core, uh, he's not a bad guy. You no. know, he's 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 actually very caring, and and even in this episode, you kind of see him struggling with his uh, relationship between mm-hmm. family and his ideals, mm-hmm. and and that's definitely something I think that a lot of us, uh, you know, have to kind of uh, fend with on our own and find our mm-hmm. own answers for. And, that, that, and really telling that we're recording this over to the Thanksgiving weekend when a lot of us get thrust together, <laughs> yes. potentially <Yeah>. with <clears throat> relatives that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for better or for worse, you know, I get, if fam, family is what you take it, what you make it, right? So mm-hmm. that that's uh, there's never going to be an, any any you know easy button around that kind of yeah. thing without doubt. But anyway, I jumped in. Please continue. Yeah, no, I, I I agree that that's one of the things that that make Quark in particular and the other Ferengi on DS Nine, Ram Nag, uh, even Moogie when she comes in, is that Quark's ties with his family are so strong, mm-hmm. and that is something that is powerful. Um, in a way that um, humanizes, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, uh, the Ferengi. You know, we we see them on DS9, and they become so much more than what they were in Next mm-hmm. Generation as these sort of laughable villains. Right. Um, that chuckle, chuckles me up when I think about their yeah. first appearance, season one uh, of TNG, <laughs> the, the last outpost. outpost <laughs> which is funny. I, I have my. Uh, I have my 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 background flipped around today i wanted to show off my jacket collection which is i was describing to aaron uh how i did a final revamp of the studio the freezer used to sit here and i moved it in the other room and now i have uh you know jacket swap outs so that i can you know so i can i can do easy cosplay as we record um but anyway behind me on the other side i usually have uh to my background uh the the little l-shaped thing that has figures and knickknacks but i do have uh, I did collect all ten of the the first wave, the 1992 or maybe it was 93 series Playmates uh, figures. One of which was the Ferengi with the whip and the big loin, like like kind of clan of the cave bear caveman like 
belt that he wore. And so, yeah, and and one of the three Ferengi in that first episode was played by the delightful Armin Shimmerman, who was Quark, mm-hmm. who I've met on several occasions and is a really awesome dude. But, yeah, to think about that Ferengi and how they were poised to be, oh, these are going to be the new villains of this new era of Star Trek. And uh, Rick Berman in my uh, Star Trek companion quickly said, well, how do you – really have a villain who gets what he wants which is you know gold coins out of a replicator you know what i mean there's no there's no oomph uh for them as a villain they don't want glory or honor to conquer anything they just want money um right yeah so they're easy to pay off yeah you know i mean there there are uh philosophical differences and i think that on next generation that would have been very difficult to do because you're sort of moving around all the time and and right your, your dilemmas are of the week but when you have them on DS9 where you're on the station and you're dealing with the same people day after day and you have non-Starfleet, you know, half your, not half your cast, but quite a bit of the cast and quite a bit of the station residents are not Starfleet. We have Bajoran militia, we have people passing through, um, you know, so Quark has been a fixture on DS9 since it was Tarek Noor, since the Cardassians were in charge. Right, exactly. And he's not leaving. So, to have him come into conflict with um, our other characters over philosophical differences, especially as they do in this episode. Right. Because he's, like I was saying, so entrenched in this Ferengi philosophy of, you know, profit over all and um, exploit your family and, you know, lose ways of dehumanizing people um, and, and treating them as as less than as, as um, the labor that you can just sort of suck out the labor and, mm-hmm. and offer very little in return and yeah. it grinds people down and it yeah. harms people. And we see a lot of that in the demands that were given by the, uh, the writers union and, and the actors unions in this particular strike, which thankfully is over now and right. has, has come out on the side of the creatives that make these um, things work, that make the TV and movie industry actually go. Um, and and I'm, I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that, you know, it's not a perfect arrangement, but it is beneficial. Mm-hmm. And just the same way as that Again, it's not a perfect arrangement in the culmination of this episode, but it's better. You know, there's progress being made. And it kind of shows that Quark, for all of his shortcomings, does care. He does want to help. Um, he, You know, deep down inside, there's a heart in there. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, there's hope. And yeah. that's that's a very Star Trek thing is to have right? and progress and to say, you know, we can be better than what we are now. Right. And with the Ferengi being created as a reflection of specifically 1980s America, but you know, right? Yeah, big on, time. It's yeah. that it's that same reflection of who we are now too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we see that on Lower Decks as well as the as the Ferengi. Um, as a reflection of, of now where, you know, you charge for everything and there's a paywall and. Right. Yep. 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 Um, And, but there's progress there too, because we have Grand Angus rum and 
you know, spoilers for DS9, spoilers for Lower Decks, but like <laughs> we have we have progress and we have Brom who who had the seed of this progress in this particular episode. Right. And how that carries forward into really revitalizing and and altering Ferengi society. You know, Mugi had her part to do with this too. Right. Um, but it's all inspired by Chief Miles O'Brien, the most important, important person in Starfleet history. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I absolutely love the end of the episode when you're like, uh, when, when Rom walks back into the bar and he says one, what is one snail juice or whatever it is he orders. And he's dressed in a Bajoran workers uniform, uh, Bajoran engineers uniform. It's actually kind of weird coloring that I don't think we'd seen before. So it was kind of made for Mm -hmm. him and it's great. So you would think, oh, he won this great victory. And then they out of left field pulled this great character development moment for him where he yeah. says hey you know what if if anything i've learned that i do better when you're not around uh he says to his brother i'm like you know what that's also very endemic of what it's like for siblings uh yeah i have, bro- yeah, I have a brother i don't speak to because ultimately anytime i was around him he treated me like shit talked to me like i was stupid uh and made me feel crappy about myself so that's not a relationship that i now that I that I choose to engage with in my life, that's a little that's a little it's a little more personal than I would usually get. Um, but you know what? It, it, unfortunately, Quark and Rom aren't quite that way. Even though Quark is really shitty to Rom, and Rom takes it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a this was yeah exactly. This was a very sitcommy way of them finding a way to hey you know with some distance. I think it's going to be Rom's. I think it'll be really good for our relationship. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you know, family members that work together. For example, like you know, I come from a, a family business, and I know there was a time that my dad worked for his dad, and it was my dad did that all grown up, and it was terrible. And for a while, my uncle worked for my dad, and I don't think that was so ideal. So, as yeah, the, the family ties and this whole bar association deal. Yeah, there's a lot of this doing what Star Trek does the very best, which is um, which is taking that bent of a sci-fi lens and 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 you know fictional characters and looking at things that affect all of us in real life. So, uh, Aaron, please, your thoughts, any favorite uh, moments from the episode to bring up? Well, I mean, you know, absolutely that that part with Ram at the end when he walks in and he quits after getting everything he wants with Gork. That right. was such a such a baller power move. Oh, big time. The hats off to the guy for that. And that's one of the things that I really love about DS9. Now, mind you, I grew up watching DS9. Yeah. So this same, stuff was same. you know, I, I love the show. And and one thing that sets it apart from all a lot of the other Star Trek episodes, you know, was the first one to really do serialized stories. Um, you know, and and they had such unprecedented character development for each and every one of the characters. I mean, even Rom, who for the most part was, you know, kind of a, a, a C-list character on the show for the most part. Um, they, they just gave him so much development and he grew so much over the course of the show. Um, you know, kind of like with, with Star Trek and, and Voyager, you'd have an episode and you'd have these characters dealing with these life altering um, circumstances. But then by the end of the episode, everything goes back to the status quo. And on um, to the next one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what yeah. made Deep Space Nine so special because there were there were ramifications from everything that these characters did, Big you know, yeah. and, and especially with Rom, you know, because he he went from you know being under his brother's thumb to you know as you said eventually uh, uh, becoming the Grand Nagus and, <laughs> and everything, and it's it's just absolutely incredible, and and it's one of the things I really love, and I feel made the show special, especially for its time. Just yeah, absolutely amazing. 
Big time, big time. I, uh, I it was just reading over the 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 episode summary as we always include. I did love um, the middle part with uh, you have uh, Bashir and O'Brien standing on the second level uh, doing the guessing game of uh, you know who, who's going to go in and who's going to do business with who's Quark. Who's going to cross the picket line? Yeah, who's going to mm-hmm. cross the picket line? So you see a Vulcan officer walk by. Nope, their sense of ethics definitely on the side of labor. And then they see Worf walk in, and uh, oh, yeah. they're like, "Wait!" And then it cuts the next scene, and they're sitting. Uh, they're sitting in a holding cell and so you get this after scene you know and you just love to see like well you know Dr. Bashir he got thrown over a table well he was more pushed and it was kind of you know Bashir's got a big scratch on his head and you're like that's just that's just fun that's just you know just kind of overall because they, they put more fun into DS9 and I think it really evolved as we got through the later seasons and in the interplay with the character. So I really, I really enjoyed that. And the, the, those three guys had to be in that holding cell overnight together. It always seems very problematic. What if somebody wants to go to the bathroom? Uh, there's one bench. So how do they sleep? Well, you know, maybe, I'm sure Worf sleeps standing up, maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe with his arms crossed, uh, hanging, you know, hanging from boots like Batman or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was great. This was not. This was our sec, sec. I think our second appearance of the phenomenal Jeffrey Combs, whom I've mm. met several times, and is just a really great guy as Liquidator Brunt. Uh, and we get our second appearance of the Nausicans, who are, you know, Klingons are scary and they're warriors, but the Nausicans are just nasty. Don't make any sense. They're 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 so much more uber violent than most of the other villainous species we get. Um, and they're just, they're just really played for, uh, you know, like Johnny Legbreaker in this because yeah, they, uh, they, they beat the cra- you know, they shatter Quark's face to make an example out of him. And, uh, but they don't, it's funny. They, they have varying levels of language skills because when we meet them, which, you know, it was a scene set in the past, uh, season six of TNG of tapestry. When we see the incident where Picard got his artificial heart, which was when he graduated from Academy. So some 50 years prior, uh, they speak really broken English, but when we see them again in the first season of enterprise, they speak totally normal English. And I think in this, they don't really speak much at all. Maybe just some grunts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know, maybe the, uh, the guys from the, the TNG episode were just rednecks or something. I don't know. The guy we saw in enterprise was a road scholar. I, I have no idea. Road scholar, Nausicaa. That could be a name. That could be a name for the episode. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that that was, I thought it was pretty cool. Let me see if I can type in road scholar Noskin while you guys are talking. You, you, you know, there's, there's that scene where um, Brunt is talking to Quark and the Noskins are just in the back and they've got the darts from the dartboard. Oh, and right. they've, they've made their own game. They're just throwing darts at each other. And oh it's my God. Like, why? They're what what play, is the goal? They're playing that punch for the Rochambeau. Was that yeah, from yeah. the from South Park? I'll kick you in the nuts as hard as I can, <laughs> and then you kick me in the nuts as hard as you can. <laughs> we'll play hints as to what Nausicaan culture must actually be like. I, wonder I know. If you know, maybe Lower Decks will stop on Nausicaa next mm-hmm. season and give them more depth, like we did with Ring yeah. and Orion's past season. There, right. there, there was that uh, clip where uh, uh, Mariner is talking, like very briefly, about the Nausicaans. He's like, "What's a Nausicaan?" They're like, "Oh, they're this warrior race that's really obsessed with Dabo, even though they're really bad at it for some reason." Damjat, <laughs> Damjat, not Dabo. Damjat, sorry, yes, yeah. yeah. Which Damjat? That's a weird game too. It's like you have clicker like you have a clicker like laser pointer that shoots a ball in a in like a like a tabletop thing with like water on it It, yeah but it's it's wet wet oh wet space billiards boom got it got it wet space billiards keep talking i'm typing go ahead 
Yeah, it's no, it's it, it it looks like a fun game. Uh you know, I used to play billiards all the time. I, I don't know if I'd ever want to play a Nausicaan at it though. <laughs> not no. the way they talk and throw darts at each other. No. Absolutely not. So yeah. well, cool. All right. Any uh any other uh favorite moments or final thoughts as we start to wind this down and then jump into the other episodes that we're gonna talk about about DS9? Um no, it's just really, really great episode. Really topical. Like I said, it's great seeing all the the character development, and it just it's just so layered, and 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 that's just absolutely fantastic. And and such a credit to the writing team that worked on the show. Who do you think the the main bad guy uh, is in the SAG AFTRA WGA strike uh, that you would com- that you would like put in the role of like Brunt for this? Like, who had the nastiest things to say after the strike? One guy said, "Oh, we paid too much." Was that the guy from the Apple, or was it wasn't the guy from Viacom? It was probably the Disney guy. Who's the Disney guy? Bob Iger. Yeah, didn't he have something really shitty to say? He like, had like some oh. really mm-hmm. bad. Like after after the strike was over, he was like, "Yeah, even we really overpaid." Like- and yeah. he's like on his yacht and saying these things like he's a Ferengi. And I'm like, really, dude, you would have no job. And no job. Because it's all it's not. It's almost like Quark's whole thing is a little bit more understandable in some way because he's I mean, yes, he's he's hoarding it, but he's a you know small business owner. He's not. The FCA. The FCA is the real like bad right. guy here. Right. It's, right. It's right. Warrant in the FCA and and and. The people who are actually like hoarding the money, I, I, you know, from Cork's perspective, he's just sort of trying to eke out his own business here, and he's just doing it by the ways that he he knows how to do it with you know the rules of acquisition and the Frankie greed that colors everything, um, because he's the guy who wants to be, you know, what the AMPTP was here. He yeah. wants to be because he feels that there's value in that. He's drunk the Kool Aid, right? Um, He's the one. He's had his, he's had his snail operator. juice. He's a small business owner who's going to be like, I'm going to I'm going to vote for the the business owner who made it all the way to the top here, and I'm going to because that could be me someday. And it's like it's never going to be you. It doesn't work right. that way. That's not that's not how capitalism actually works. Mm-hmm. It, it it requires somebody to be hoarding the wealth in order to grow and expand. And it's like, you can only expand so far and so much before the people who are putting the work in mm-hmm. can't like, it's just not sustainable because you're trying to, you know, charge more and more for things while paying people less and less and expecting more and more work out of them in order to make that expansive profit as opposed to just like being, being satisfied with, you know, making a profit at all that you can continue to operate. And I almost feel like work just wants to continue to be able to operate, but he does so with the attitude of the guy who's like on top of the pile. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Trying yeah. to exploit people and squeeze people because he thinks that's right. Because that's what Ferengi society values. Right. And acquire um, Brock acquire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ferengi, Ferengi children's books. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Aaron, any, any yeah. parting glance from you? No, I was just, I was just thinking about, you know, uh, 
uh, as you were saying about about the whole the you know the promise of ascension, I definitely encountered that in my own history, and that's very relatable because you know I worked for three or four other companies before striking out and starting on my own, and I definitely felt like that was always a thing. Like you know, there's always the, that that carrot that they hold out for you, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 if it, more often than not, that turned out to be you know just empty promises and 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 i had to i just got frustrated i'm like all right i gotta strike out on my own that's when i started my company and and i don't regret that and i definitely see uh a lot of that in rom and i I never thought i'd see rom as a relatable character but in this instance i gotta say yeah i i i I definitely see where he was coming from on that yeah awesome good deal all right, good, good chat, you guys. I love it. So, Jen, thanks for the idea. I appreciate uh, having an episode that we can really drill down on. You know, as I said, in future weeks in segment one, we're going to focus uh, probably on going back to a segment that Jen and I had this past uh, spring summer, which was a picking, you know, uh, between us picking a like a good episode and a bad episode, and kind of doing a little compare contrast. And as there's a group of you know four or five of us, depending on who's going to be on, uh, we'll probably tackle that until we get to discovery. But in the next segment or in in the next episode i should say we're going to do i'm gonna reveal it now if that's okay with you guys because i've been talking about it for a long time but we know that with strange new worlds we've now had a recasting of over half of the tos characters so we have a kirk we have a spock we have a scotty we have an uhura we have a chapel so we'll call it the original is that is the original eight? Because Chapel was kind of she was kind of so, kind of not. You know, yeah, Ringo, who was in a couple of episodes. Right, he's a main character. Right, exactly. But yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. At least uh, with Chapel, we saw her in all three seasons of TOS. So that leaves us a Sulu, a Chekhov, and a McCoy uncast. So what we're gonna do, participants of the next episode, is we're gonna come forward with our own dream castings <laughs> for those three characters of actors that we're familiar with. So that is going to be our segment one in our next episode. So sharpen your pencils, you two guys, and then Peter uh, being back on and potentially, potentially K, potentially miss. We've not seen them in a while, but I'm going to certainly extend the invitation. Um, and we will, uh, we will do that then. So, but anyway, uh, before we do that, we're going to slide into segment two and we're going to continue, continue to talk about season four, Deep space nine. I think this might be, the first episode we've ever had where it's just been about one show, <laughs> you know, and, and it's certainly the first one where it's just been about one season of one show, but yeah, we're getting into part, uh, three of four of a season four of, uh, Star Trek deep space nine and Aaron, as you are our esteemed guest, I'm going to give you the chance to do episode 86. So, uh, what we typically do, we read the details going across the top line and then we, read the summary and then you give your take so go for it or or jen can go first if you'd like to hear it how it goes oh i i think i would like Aaron to go first okay i i i need to thank you very much uh happy happy to do so uh let me bring it up here or uh, yeah i'll tell you what i'll go i'll go okay i'll Mm -hmm. go you bring it up all right episode 86 is uh episode 14 of the season is return to grace uh, uh, directed by Jonathan West. Story is Tom Benko, and Telplay is Hans Beimler, who's a regular of the series from February of 1996. Dukat seeks Kira's help in regaining his rank in the Cardassian Union. So, uh, kind of a cool episode. You're jamming together two characters, uh, who are at odds. Uh, one who desperately seeks the love, and I, I see Jen's skin crawl. I'm thinking about Gold Cat. <laughs> Uh, but you're dealing with Gul Dukat, who is the creepiest of the creepies, uh, a guy whose motivation 
99% of the time, you're pretty sure he's a bad guy. But then, oh, I found my daughter. I love my daughter. Decided not to kill her, which happened a couple of episodes pr- uh, prior to this. Uh, but as it turns out, Kira is hitching a ride uh, with Ducat, who's now a lowly freighter captain, uh, to an outpost where she's going to contribute uh, something to a, a, a mission about Bajoran intelligence, blah, blah, blah. Uh, also aboard the freighter is Ducat's daughter, uh, who also is in exile, kind of kind of quasi-exile with him. Uh, when they get to the outpost, they find out that the Cardassians and the uh, Bajoran who were there were killed by Klingons, who the Klingons kind of blow them off and drift away. But Ducat's super pissed. He's like, I got to find a way to kill these Klingons, and which, you know, with Kira's help, he does. They grab a phaser. They cripple this ship. They do this transporter swap out with them, and then Ducat takes over the ship and says, I'm now going to be a freedom fighter with my one ship going around blowing up Klingons and stuff. I'm going to become Kira. And he says, Kira, please join me. And then what happens? Jen, your thoughts. She's like, hell no. Like, <laughs> Yeah. She, did you even think about it? Are, I did you, not. Are you out of your mind like do you realize who you're talking to but no Ducat doesn't that's the thing he's so single-minded in everything that he does because all he wants is to like get back to where he was back on top of that pile back to because like he was the administrator of Tarek Norn and, and it, he's trying to get back yeah return to grace but like, yeah big man on campus grace, yeah you know he's and he thinks that he has the right idea to do that he thinks he knows exactly how it's gonna work not recognizing that things changed he failed he's not as great as he thinks he is um but that's what makes him a compelling character too um i i i've met this guy here's the thing you know like i know this guy um, I think I worked for this guy, honestly. But anyway, like, <laughs> we all have. We all have. Oh, my God. Are you serious? You know, it's and it's like you are so out of touch with what reality is. And you're you you think Kira's going to work for you after this? You think this is going to get you back in the good graces of, of the of the Cardassian government and get you back to where you were when you were never really there in the first place? Because like Eric Nor was not like you know, the best assignment ever either. It's <laughs> is just, he, he's one of those characters that I love to hate. Same as Kaiwin, like DS9 has, has just these great compelling characters that, that exist as foils for our Starfleet officers, the way that when and to an extent later, Ducat um, yeah. foils for Cisco. Ducat is a foil for Kira here. He's trying to be what she was in order to get her to like. Do you like me? Check yes or no. Yeah, exactly. I'm now you know I'm doing, I'm doing pa- the thing that you were doing, passing notes in class. Now, and she's like, yeah, right. Absolutely not. I'm going You're like to bro, bro, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you are so so far removed from reality. Oh and, my gosh. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, spoilers, but like he continues to get even further removed from reality as right. the series goes on. And it's great to watch. Yeah. Until he literally cracks like an eggshell um, mm. after everything goes <laughs> upsy daisy, uh, you oh. know, in at the at the, the, the early part of season six. Yeah. But he's so like earnest about it. Like he still believes that he's in the right 
and yeah. he's, he's he's slimy and he's yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. perhaps Marco Lemo for yeah making the, this character who he is. The villain never thinks they're the villain. They just no. think that they're right. Look at every. <gasps> classic fascist animal who's ever existed on earth and we don't need to name mm-hmm. any names but we know who we're talking about mm-hmm. um yeah scary stuff aaron mm-hmm. well you know i gotta say i i i don't condone uh, his actions or his choices as, as a character he's 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 a completely irredeemable creep especially in this episode but mm-hmm. i love gold ducat like so much whenever whenever i see he's going to be in an episode i know i'm going to have a good time yeah, like right. I, I love picking this guy's brain apart. Like he's he he literally suffers from main character syndrome. He's the embodiment of 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 main character syndrome. He he literally thinks he's the hero of the show every yeah, right. second he's on that screen. And and it's it's I, yeah right. I love it. And and um he's just he he as you said he's so completely delusional. I, like like I just I love this one part at the end where where Kira's trying to explain to him you can't do this. You have a whole army that you're going up against and you have one bird of prey with a skeleton crew. You don't stand a chance. And he's just like, what? Why not? I can take on the whole army. Come on. Yeah. Haven't you seen star Wars? I'm Luke Skywalker. Woo. I mean, come on, seriously. Yeah. Look at me in my X-wing. Bro. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) He's so arrogant. I I love it. He he thinks he's in a TV show. That's what it is. He thinks he's in a TV show. And, and, and the one thing that really, really shows you the quality of the character of, 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 in terms of where his mindset is, is Kira's like, your daughter is here. You can't bring her into this, and and it's I like can't? what yeah, he, he, the, the <laughs> thought the thought that he was putting his daughter in mortal danger never entered his mind. Yeah, but she'll be good. His claims she, to love her. Yeah, it, I didn't kill her before. That means yeah. I just love her. Yeah, right. I, no, you're putting her in mortal danger right now. Right. This very second. Like, I mean, he wants to silver star for not being as big a jerk as he could have been. You know. <laughs> I read, yeah. He is the embodiment of one of my favorite uh, memes that I'd like to use is from the Simpsons, Bart Simpson picking up the cake that says, at least you tried. He walks over and dumps <laughs> it in the trash. That, that's Gold Ducat. He's the Bart yeah. Simpson cake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least you tried. Oh, my God. No, no. good stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, oh, man. I've I have often said Goldacott is my favorite Star Trek villain and, and I stand by that. He's just so interesting. I know I don't know that I could disagree. I've never really thought about it. Because yeah, you, mm-hmm. your mind goes to oh Khan is blah blah blah, Wrath of mm-hmm. Khan. And yeah, he's but yeah, Goldacott is he, where Khan is very kind of one-sided and it gets I don't he, know yeah. a con. You know? Yeah. I but know everybody knows Ducat. Ducat. Yeah. Yeah. I know win. I know the like yeah. They're, yeah. they're they're more insidious because they're so much more relatable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost too much so. Yeah, 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 Yeah. very much so. Uh, All right, well, let's move on. Uh, Are you now, Aaron, ready to take on giving us the summary of episode 15? (laughs) Yeah, I got it. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) All right, so episode 15, The Sons of Moog. Uh, Let's see here. uh, We got David Livingston on this. Yep. Yep. Uh, Ronald D. Moore. First aired February 10th, 1996, and the summary for the episode, cast out of Klingon society because of Worf's dishonor, his brother Kern asks Worf to kill him. Kira and O'Brien investigate a mysterious high-energy discharge just outside Bajoran space. Ooh, I love that dramatic reading. Oh, I'm, I feel invested now. I'm, I'm into it. 
Thank you so much. So yeah, no, this was a really good episode. Um, you know, like it said, it starts with uh, uh, Dax and Worf are inside the hollow deck doing some, you know, some uh, uh, flirtatious, aggressive <laughs> training. Uh, where they're talking about, uh, uh, you know, warriors being arrogant and everything. And uh, uh, it, it was a cute little back and forth between them that kind of sets up the concept of, you know, the arrogance of warriors. You know, very, very good use of foreshadowing for the episode. Of course, they're interrupted by Odo, who says that Worf has a guest. There is a drunk Klingon who is uh, causing security some problems. He needs to go check it out. And he goes and discovers it's his brother, Kern, who we haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Kern, of course, had a high seat on the uh, Klingon console for a while. And in a recent episode, Worf had um, turned his back on Gowron because he found Gowron's tactics to be questionable and dishonorable. Right. Um, yeah. Season premiere. Yeah. Right. So he refused, he refused to uh, participate. And as a result, Gowron takes it out on his brother, um, by stripping him of his lands and his title and casting him out in front of the, the emperor and absolutely dishonoring him. So Curran feels the only way he can find his redemption is is uh, by having Worf kill him yep. in a ritualistic uh, 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 Klingon ceremony, which, of course, you know, Worf is conflicted about. Meanwhile, we've got Kira and O'Brien who are coming back from a, a trip with a checking on the Bajoran colonies and they discover a mysterious explosion in space and they decide to go check that out. But they're stopped by a Klingon um, ship that tells them not to come any further and stay away because they're doing training exercises, mm-hmm. which of course, you know, you always hear training exercise, you know, there's something else going on. Right. They're so uh, training for some badness. So yeah. this was uh, a definite connection to the TNG season five ethics where Worf, Worf's spine is broken when a when a mm-hmm. cargo container falls on him, and it's the same thing. He asks uh, Riker to help him die in a very similar, mm-hmm. very similar. Fact. I don't know that it's the same ceremony. The Klingons got a lot of different weird ass ceremonies, but yeah. this one is the most similar to that one, in my opinion. And Riker says, uh, "Dude, I can't do that. Technically, you gotta. It's got to be your son, even though he's like you know ten years older. In Kling in Klingon years, he was ten, and it, like real." years he was like two um because that's how aging happens on tv uh back then but uh this was but Worf was like all right dude let's let's do this thing but uh dax figures it out by hook or by crook and stops him from doing it and so uh the two of them one of the best scenes i think the two of them uh dax and Worf get hauled into the principal's office and cisco (laughs) just chews their I didn't have any ass left when they left that room because um, he said, you know, unless you hadn't noticed, uh, those are not Klingon uniforms you're wearing and this is not a Klingon station. So you're it was a Klingon thing doesn't really cut the mustard with me. So uh, figure out a way for your brother not to kill himself or you're all out of here. Okay, you know, and then so, you know, Kern kind of does his best. He tries to go to work for Odo, but then he tries to commit like on the job suicide by throwing himself in front of some dude's gun. Um, And so at the end of it, Kern is just left right back where he started from like, I have no life and I have no life. I can't go to Stovacor. I won't see father there, uh, mother and father there and uh, blah, blah, blah. And so they have to do a very Star Trek-y thing in order to resolve it is that uh, Bashir does the mind wipe thing, which he's good at it. Beverly sucked at it, but Dr. Pulaski was great at it in TNG. So even though Bev was head of Starfleet Medical, 
she's like, I, I mean, maybe there's one doctor. Who, reasons. You know, yeah. I, maybe there's one doctor who like, they're not, I'm not good at this one thing. You know, memory well, stuff is just not perfect memory. at everything. Yeah, and that's true. Honestly, well, for, for Beverly, it was plot reasons a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah, very true. Take. Very true. Um, so, yeah. So, um, uh, he, uh, they, they, they change uh, Kern into uh, Lagra or Logan or Logan, Kenny Loggins. They change him into Kenny Loggins. Uh, the Danger Zone. No, nobody. Okay, all right. <laughs> oh, tough room, tough room. Okay, and then Danger they send zone. Danger Zone, <laughs> and they send him on uh, his merry way. So this episode is just kind of another like, wow, it just fucking sucks to be Worf. He just now he doesn't even have any family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, being Worf is a, this is a, you know, coming to DS nine for Worf has been a real shit show. <laughs> Nothing good is working out so far. So, um, but I like it. it you know, this was a, it yeah. was a, it was a big jump forward, uh, in the Dax, uh, Worf relationship, yes. which, which doesn't turn into a romance until, you know, early next season. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, this was good Worf stuff. I met Tony Todd only in passing the person who really met him. Cause he was a guest at, our Grand Rapids Comic Con back in 2019 was April, my wife. He came to the booth when I was in the bathroom or doing something, and he chatted. He, he, I think he hit on her, and then he sat in the captain's chair and took a couple of pictures. She said he remarkably smelled like marijuana. So that's oh, my impression of Tony Todd. But I love the man's work. Love Candyman. Right? The Chicago classic right there, Jen. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned it during Shocktober. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a movie you probably want to see if you don't enjoy horror no. movies, because it's horrible. Uh, it's horrifying. So anyway, Jen, your thoughts. Um, the thing that I like about this one is that it does show, like in Bar Association, um, the contrast between the values of Starfleet and the Federation and mm-hmm. the culture and of, of an alien culture. Um, and Gork can continue to sort of operate as is because he's Ferengi and they sort of, you know, look the other way and they sort of, you know, you know they, they, they do come across and they do clash against that. But um, Cisco's point of Worf being a Starfleet officer first and foremost sometimes clashes against what Worf believes himself to be because Worf is, you know, imagining himself as the Klingoniest Klingon ever, mm-hmm. um, almost in order to make up for being the fact that he's raised by humans, right? So it's like Worf's like book knowledge of Klingons and the ceremony is what makes that takes so much more precedence in his head because he has this desire to prove himself. So he's going to go, I have to do the thing. I have to do the Klingon thing. Even if, even when it conflicts with the Federation values. And that was the interesting moral quandary for, for me and for him in this episode as well, because it's like, what do you do then? And, you know, Cisco in no uncertain terms saying find another way does make this, Almost more heartbreaking, really, than if yeah. you just killed him. Because, like, he's out there somewhere, but you can't you can't have any contact with him. He has to just sort of forget about him. Right. It's a happy ending. I mean, Kern. in so much that Kern's not dead, and he can go on, right. and he can be free of dishonor. He can have a new life, yeah. whatever it is. Kind of weird that, you know, because the guy who is the co-conspirator in this is is Kern's new dad, who's an older Klingon yeah. guy who was one of Moog, who was their uh, wharf and uh, Kern's dad. Uh, it was one of his old buddies who agreed to it. But don't you think like an old school Klingon would be like, I'm not going to agree to this. You're dishonored. But I don't know. You know, uh, rule, rules get bent. Rules. Debt. Yeah, there you go. 
always, you know, that is, that's the ultimate Klingon plot armor. Well, I owe you a debt. So I guess I'll kill these 10 people for you, but whatever. It's cool. It's, it's the rules, (laughs) but yeah, good stuff. All right, Jen, you are up for episode 17. Episode 17, Accession, uh, directed by Les Landau, written by Jane Espenson, from February 24th, 1996. Day after my my 20th birthday. Sorry. Quick aside. A famous Bajoran poet, Akoram Lan, who disappeared over 200 years ago, appears from the wormhole and convinces Sisko that he is the true emissary. But when he announces a return to the preoccupation caste system, Sisko points out it would disqualify Bajor for membership in the Federation. O'Brien is less than enthusiastic when Kiko announces she's expecting. Whoops. And keeps a somewhat tight lid on it. It's funny because in all the episodes where they're like, Keiko's such a bitch, like she treats him so bad, she actually doesn't really bust his nuts about this, you know? Because usually she's like, oh, Keiko's such a shrew because she's given – like there's that school of thought out there, right? People who are really down on Keiko. Is, I disagree with it. But I don't, I don't, th- I don't think she's – I don't think she's so bad at all. I, yeah, I, no, I also don't agree with that. But even with this, he's like, well, you know, having another baby. Burr, 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 burr. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it's interesting. I, and obviously it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a B – it's like a B minus B story. You know, it's like it's so yeah. small. Um you know, uh, compared to the A story. But anyway, back to you. Yeah. I just thought I'd jump in because yeah, no, I thought, so yeah, people trash and Keiko, whatever. Again, with the contrast between a cultural thing and a Federation thing. And it's like, this is one of the driving factors in, in Cisco accepting his mm-hmm. position as emissary, which is a whole, it's a whole series long journey for him. Yeah. Do he, he, this is one of the major steps in him, taking it into consideration and accepting it. It's, you know, contrasting with the, in the beginning where he's sort of begrudgingly performing the duties that they're asking him to do as emissary. He's like, well, I might as well. They want him to do it. He doesn't really want to. He doesn't really see himself as the emissary. He's glad when this guy comes through. He's like, you want the job? Cool, take it. I don't want the job. I don't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why? I'm a human. Why should I have this job for the Bajoran people? It should be a Bajoran, right? So he is happy to kind of let go of that. Nonetheless, you have Kira, who's still wanting to believe in Cisco, but kind of going along with, all right, right. going back to the cast system, I'm supposed to be an artist and I'm not that good at it. <laughs> I love her. Oh, that's a that's a very <laughs> rare Kira Norris original where it's like her, her flock of flightless birds because mm-hmm. she's trying to make bread. They're just li- looks like something that, you know, your kindergarten goes, look, daddy, I made you, back in our day, it was I made you an ashtray. Because right, <laughs> right. that's the kind of thing you, you could make. you don't have the training from yeah. the caste system being a thing. Or any talent, God-given talent, you know, right. <laughs> like artists right. have. Yeah, exactly. This is yeah, why everybody's well, not an artist because some people are. practice. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> but know. some of it, I'm sure, comes from men born. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah. Right, right. And and it's better for people to be able to choose their own way, right? It's right. better for people to um, have some freedom and some say in what they do. And that is ironically what convinces Cisco to take the position back. Um, and the interesting thing is that when um, the poet does go back all of a sudden his poems are completed because the prophet sent him back to a different time because the prophets exist outside of time and right some weird neat wibbly wobbly stuff right that that came from that and like 
Kira sort of remembering the original timeline because she has a part in this too. And right, yeah, that was pretty cool. Neat stuff. I like that part. The uh, actor who played a Coram Lan, quick, quick little sidebar, because it's funny. Familiar. I, I, I'll tell you exactly who he is, though it may not guy? help you. I, I, I turned around and I watched this this movie immediately after because it's one of my all time favorites. He is Fletch's boss in the 1985 movie Fletch with Chevy Chase, the newspaper editor, the Frank. You know, I don't know I. I love that movie I was raised on. I got a big nod out of Aaron, and it mm-hmm. kind of seems like Jen's like, okay. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a big deal if you were an 80s kid. It was because yeah. it was just one of those comedies. So uh, when Chevy Chase was funny and he wasn't a total jackass, or <laughs> he was he was less of a jackass because apparently yeah. he's always yeah. him being a jackass is not something from the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Richard Libertini is the actor's name. And I'm sure, okay. and again, as an actor, You've seen him in the last fifty years. Probably you've caught him in a in a lot of a lot of this and that. But yeah, this is really great. And again, it goes right up uh, there against you know a caste system is right along there with you know people who are very strict in their religion. I can you know my religion says X Y Z, uh, or you know something from the dis. It, it would be you know if somebody from the seventeen hundreds came back or a, a physician from the fourteenth century came back and said, "Why aren't we treating things with leeches or whatever?" I mean, you know what I mean. It's so it's there are certain. You know, it's a modern problems uh, call for modern solutions. Well, the the modern problem that the Bajorans had is that, hey, we're an occupied people. Everybody's going to give up doing, you know, this caste-based BS, and we're all going to pick up arms so that we don't die. Uh, You know, and then, you know, that fundamentally changed our society. We didn't go back because, you know what, who we are versus who we were 75 years ago when there were no Cardassians is fundamentally changed, and you can't turn back the clock. And that's what this dude can't really wrap his head around because he's like nope if we don't to go back to a place that doesn't exist anymore right exactly yeah you can't you can't live in the past which is something (laughs) something i'm sure all of us have people in our life who really don't understand that we all have family members or friends like that who just want to live in the past and boy i remember when bread was a nickel and you know it's just life just doesn't work that way so reality is different so yeah exactly someone who's out of touch with reality i mean there's a definite theme going through this chunk of episodes and i think that is you know something ds9 does really well is is voyager to some extent too and we'll get to that when we we get to voyagers uh season four and five which i think are really good at staying on theme but um ds9 from the jump has really embraced the idea of thematic storytelling and keeping seasons sort of on a on a theme whether intentional or not you see yeah these, these patterns echoed throughout you know chunks of episodes and and the way that we've broken it up is such that each chunk that we have kind of has a little bit of each you know threads from each different theme kind yeah. of running through it i think that's really cool it's one of the things that mm-hmm. makes it so so cohesive uh, especially on a rewatch when you're watching, you know, six episodes at once. Right, right. And that's why I love doing it in this in this yeah. uh, this fashion because we don't get super granular, though it was super cool to do that with Bar Association yeah. because it really tied in. But I love having these, you know, five-minute touches between, you know, three people on an episode. Speaking of which, Aaron, your turn. Thoughts? You know, I, I, I find myself um, – I'm very inquisitive. You know, I'm always asking questions, especially when it comes to uh, religion. And after watching this episode, I find that that holds true to fictional religion uh, as well as real life religion, because while I was watching it, I was trying to guess what the prophets were thinking with this whole setup. And, and, and even when they go and they eventually confront them and they just straight up ask them, you know, what was this about? And their, their response is, Oh, this is for the Cisco. 
Right. Um, that's the, that's the anointed one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what do you mean by that? And that's, that's what I was obsessing over after watching this episode. Like, like where they, were they trying to teach him a lesson? Were they trying to give him a vacation? You know, like like he, he refers to it in the episode as it feels like he was on vacation, even though he still got to deal, you know, with Starfleet, the war, and all this other stuff going on. You know, uh, which was really interesting. And and part of me just wonders how much of that did the writers plan out, and how much of it were they just like, well, you know, we'll just say prophets work in mysterious ways and call it a day. <laughs> I mean, know? it's true. I will yeah. definitely say I think this was more they were trying to teach him a lesson. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? You have doubts about why you're doing this. Look what would happen if we took this jack off from 200 years ago and gave him the job. And he's like, mm-hmm. everybody should be using leeches or what the mm-hmm. hell ever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, so, yeah. Be both. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a lesson through a vacation. Sometimes when you have something that's thrust on you or it feels mm-hmm. like it's thrust on you. Yeah. You have to stop doing it for a while in order to make it feel like it is your choice to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he did not feel like it was his choice to be the emissary. He didn't want to do it. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But when he is actively choosing to take on the job, his perspective on it changes and his role within that title changes because he's mm-hmm. embracing it now. Um, right. Not, not to the extent that he will eventually, but like he's, he's a little bit more on board with uh, him himself being the emissary. Yeah. After this one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if they even had a word for this when it first came out, but he definitely struggles with uh, imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Cool. All right. Well, good. Let's uh, let's move on to. Boy, I was really riveted watching this episode. Not only back in, in 1996, but but even watching it again. This was one of my when I was sitting in my COVID sick bed earlier this week. I was like, Ooh. Um, episode 18 is Rules of Engagement, directed by Levar Burton. So boom, mm-hmm. right there. Uh, ended up being mm-hmm. a great one, though. Levar has directed some episodes, I think even earlier this season or last season that we mm-hmm. didn't enjoy so much. So sometimes it's the material, but he just does such a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, story is uh, David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, two regulars on the writing staff until played by the exceptional Ron Moore, one of my Star Trek heroes from April of 1996. Worf accidentally destroys a civilian ship during a battle and faces a hearing to determine whether he should be extradited to the Klingon empire. Ooh, the court martial, the trial. I, uh, Spent most of this episode also studying the um, the Vulcan JAG officer who was presiding over it because in SD it gets so fuzzy that I couldn't tell if she was a four or a five star admiral, um, which we never really see five star admiral. That would be like the top dude, but she's four star admiral uh, because I didn't studied it and pulled it up on screen and stuff. But that's uh, that's about as high ranking as you get. So this is uh, this is really it's really for the big leagues, but super cool episode. There was a movie. Right around this time, I think it was a couple years later, starring Samuel L. Jackson, who was kind of in a similar situation. He was he was an army officer, and he was in a trial, and he had the famous line, "Yes, yes, I hope they die, and I hope they burn in hell." Anybody remember that line? Anybody? Yeah. No, Jen's like, I don't watch your stupid movie. Stop it. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> no, but I'm just I'm using I'm using my finely honed Betazoid telepathic senses. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but this was great. What a great character study mm-hmm. for Worf yeah. um, because he's going along. And yes, ultimately what happened in this uh, plot line is that he was duped. You had a, 
you know, a, a Klingon, uh, basically conspiracy. And then you had a skeevy Klingon lawyer who was trying to make it look like he killed a bunch of people he didn't kill because ultimately the civilian ship he destroyed in this battle situation, the whole thing was a fake out. The ship was empty. Um, so nobody died. Um, but this guy wanted to discredit Worf. He wanted to discredit the Federation, uh, so that these convoys to this particular, uh, area would stop. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, Great, great work by Odo was pivotal because he was working behind the scenes, figuring everything out. Cisco was great as Worf's defense attorney, which is um, I always love seeing people in dress uniforms, too. So you get it's it's more colorful and it looks more like TNG, which everybody everybody loves TNG uniforms. It's kind of cool to see those bust out because the dress uniforms at this point were just carryovers. Um and uh, yeah, I love it. They also use that great. I was I was reading in the notes and uh, an old uh, technique where when someone is having a flashback or a, something from the past is being told, someone will jump, kind of break the fourth wall and jump jump out of the scene and start talking like they were talking, but they're still in the same setting. I thought that was cool. Well, Brian did that a couple times. Worf did it. Uh, uh, Quark did it. I love Quark's aside in the bar where he's trying to remember something, but well, Bashir was sitting there and he was talking to a, a certain Dabo girl, or was he talking to this other Dabo girl? Was he talking to this third Dabo girl? No, 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 no. It was Morn talking to this fourth Dabo girl, and he turns to her and he says, "And Chapak, who is the Kling, the slimy Klingon lawyer, played by actor Ron Canada, who is another that guy who's seen a ton of stuff, says, can we get back to the point at hand, please?'" <laughs> so still finding ways to inject humor into a very serious uh situation uh and i do love at the end of it uh cisco and Worf's interaction at the end uh where cisco dresses him down and he said he said you know we're starfleet we don't uh, we don't put civilians lives on the line no matter what even if it costs us our own lives and he's in work goes well life is very much more difficult in this red uniform. And Cisco's great line. Anybody want to jump in and say it? I don't have to say it. He says, wait till you have four pips on that collar. You'd wish you'd gone into botany. Uh, oh, just, oh, it's just when I just, I love it. this. This was, uh, th this may be my favorite of the pack. So mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Jen, your thoughts. Um, it's again, it's this, like you were saying, a character study for Worf and, and him, trying to how Worf always wants to prove himself as a Klingon. And in this case, proving himself as a Klingon is the, is the wrong answer. Right. Um, it is the thing that's going to get him more trouble and get not just himself, but the rest of Starfleet kind of in trouble for this. And yeah, I, mean, big time. I use the term in trouble loosely. It's far more than that. Yeah. Right. But it's, there's so much that hangs on what he believes about himself and whether he is going to admit to this particular thought or this particular thought. And one of the thoughts marks him as very Klingon and the other thought marks him as very Starfleet. And Worf has always had this war in himself between these two sides of himself is where is his affiliation and what does he truly believe and how this comes out is that you know, he is Starfleet, right? Right. Um, but he is still also a Klingon and he's finding ways to balance that. And that harkens back to our first episode of the season, Way of the Warrior, where he's stuck between these two worlds, but that becomes an asset to him there as opposed to here where it's a little bit more rocky. Um, I thought it was... 
it is a tense episode, as most of these courtroom episodes of Star Trek are, but it is a great one for Worf and his character study and where this eventually evolves for him. Most deaf. Aaron. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I'm a sucker for uh, procedural law shows. And, and <laughs> I was- Hong Kong. All right. Yeah. Anyway, please yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I found myself yelling at the screen an awful lot while watching this because like the, the lawyer, just his whole strategy was just straight up character assassination. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. And some of the stuff that he was calling, I was just yelling at the screen. That's hearsay. No, that's not admissible. That's circumstantial evidence. Like I was just, the whole episode. And, <laughs> nice. And, and the, the, the Admiral, I even yelled at at one point because like she was like, she, th- it was getting really heated between the Klingon lawyer and Worf. And um, she's like, if you keep this up, I'll hold you in contempt. And like, she warns him like three or four times. And I'm like, do it. Drop the hammer on him. Put, put, put martial him. Yeah. And then, and then that all escalated. And I was like, that's on the judge, you know, just the, the whole thing. I'm just critiquing the whole case. <laughs> the whole um, system's out of order. Yeah. It's like, it's like I want to see your bill of rights right now. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. That, that, that was the fun part of the episode. And, and then uh, of course seeing uh, Cisco and his, his, uh, that, that whole end scene was just incredible. Like you said, with the, with, with, yeah. with the four pips line and, and, and way he comes in, he's like, Hey, we're having a party. And then Worf's like, I don't feel like I deserve a party. And Cisco's I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, you're right. You don't deserve the party. You know why? And like, like that, that whole bit was just yeah. so great. <laughs> I do love, and it's funny, this kind of comes back to, uh, all, all the way up in, in season seven when, when, uh, uh, Esri is, becomes Dax, uh, and, uh, and, uh, She's sharing some stuff with Cisco. She says, "No, no, no! Don't, don't talk to War for me. You intimidate him." Uh, and, <laughs> which is such a great. I remember hearing. And again, we're we're in season seven when that reveal comes around. But uh, it's probably reasons like this. Like he's dressing him down to Warf's Like, yes, sir. You know, he's like, he's yeah. Warf. Here's the guy who almost took off Picard's head at the end of mm-hmm. uh, First Contact because mm-hmm. Picard called him a called him a wimp. You know, so. <laughs> pretty crazy stuff oh all right well let's move along uh let's take it home with the uh episode 19 aaron i think you're up so take us away okay episode 19 hard time uh written by uh let's see here we got directed directed by alexander seeger story by daniel keys moran and lynn barker Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf. And the original air date for this was April 13th, 1996. And the synopsis for this episode, O'Brien's mind has been altered to create memories of being incarcerated for 20 years on an alien world on charges of espionage and sedition. Oh, my God. Continuing a long legacy of beating the crap out of engineers. And this is <laughs> late in the fourth season of DS9. This is happening late in the fourth season of TNG was an episode that Jen and I talked about that long ago that this ha- that Jordy was kidnapped by Romulans and they did the same thing. What's the deal with the gold suit? In the 24th century that everybody's getting their getting their ass whooped. So anyway, because the gold suit replaced the red one. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but the red suits, they just killed them. But again, yeah, the, well, oh, well, it, but it's engineers. Scotty to Jordy, now to O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Trip Tucker died at the end of Enterprise, supposedly. No, he didn't. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. He didn't. Anyway. Uh, 
uh, O'Brien must suffer, right? O'Brien must <laughs> like, suffer. That is one of the facts of, especially Deep Space Nine, is O'Brien must suffer. And this is the pinnacle of that Ugh. statement. This particular episode is the one that like goes down as O'Brien suffering the most. It is, I understand the the concept behind this type of punishment. It, it kind of reminds me of even back in the original series when they had the, you know, people just walking into the, uh, the, the killing booths. In oh, the taste of Armageddon? The yeah. War. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, it's supposed to be better. It's supposed to be more humane. But the thing is, if he'd actually been incarcerated, then that would have been his life. And this, it's like, he has to go back to his life after this. And how do you do this? This is like, um, this is like the inner light, but it's like the inner dark, right? Yeah. Oh, big time. Opposite Mm -hmm. of what that was. And, and how do you come back from that yeah yeah that's that's where i definitely feel this fell short um because again uh whatever it is you know and they were very vague about well he was asking some questions and then it was quickly determined that uh they thought he was a spy and so he was tried convicted and uh we put 20 years of, of of prison sentence in his brain here you go have him back now where's the recourse for any of that what the hell kind of legal well, system undo it well yeah but what kind of legal system just allowed this trial to go did he have did o'brien have did no representation yeah well, thank you mm-hmm. yes agreed you know but he, even the cardassian system where you're uh you're guilty uh and not proven innocent they at least have a show trial uh, where they can say, where, you know, and again, in the Cardassian system, explain it. Well, the people love seeing how guilt is explained and explored. Where with this, it was a very, it was what they, you know, just very much a throwaway line that, well, you know, we thought he did some stuff <clears throat> and there was clearly no evidence because we, we know as the audience that O'Brien wasn't doing probably anything. Either. He was just asking some questions and then they plug it in and then they throw him back and then there's no consequences for those aliens, they're like, oh, well, we're, we're good. See ya. I just, that, that part of it in the beginning really bugged the shit out of me. You know what I mean? Point isn't that though? Uh, that, is, that's true. Is that's how true. it affects O'Brien. Yeah. Um, and you, there's a, you got a human centric view here. You got an earth centric view where, you know, the, a lot of the Star Trek aliens are of course stand-ins for human cultures. So you're going to have, courtrooms and trials and stuff that is familiar to us um, as a, as a legal explanations, right? Whether it's the Cardassian court, the Klingon court, the court from lower decks with the horn that you speak the truth into. (laughs) There's something that's somewhat familiar where you have lawyers and evidence and testimonies and and all of that, but this it's alien and that's the point of it. We're not supposed to understand it. Um, we're just supposed to deal with the consequences on O'Brien's side of it. Right. You know, if they're not a Federation world, then Federation can't do anything about it. They That's just true. have to sort of deal with um, how this is affecting right. their officer. It's very true. Very true. And this is obviously, it's a big sto- uh, study in PTSD. Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's 
the way that we really should treat our veterans that we absolutely don't. And anyway, if you've ever yeah. known anybody in the military who is a vet who suffers from something like this, they don't, they, it's very difficult for them to get the kind of help they need. And sometimes the help that they need maybe just doesn't exist. And it doesn't get solved in 42 minutes like it does for O'Brien. And then the very next episode, he's totally fine. Um, I mean, he's never really the same again, much like with a quorum lawn and you know the dude from the, the the dude who thought he was the emissary who came back right. you know and bajoran society well bajoran society had to change to survive and it doesn't just go back so so yeah so i guess uh, another question is how is o'brien's character different from this point forward i guess i i i can't and maybe it'll take us continuing to watch but i can't did is he more he's more suspicious yeah did cole Meany slip something different into his portrayal of o'brien after this yeah yeah you're right maybe he stops asking so many questions he's not quite so buddy buddy chummy chummy curious maybe he's because just like he does continue to suffer stuff continues to happen to him right that is right on lines of i mean never quite to this depth right but i think that it he does continue to suffer. He does continue to have, you know, not just writers treating him poorly, but like the thing with PTSD too, is that you cover it up, right? Yeah. You don't admit. Trust me. I know from personal experience. And I think that that makes this a realistic portrayal. I mean, maybe I'm appending something after the fact and kind of going, well, of course he's not going to say anything about it. You know, like, like, you know, yeah, covering up discovery in the records, right? Like, right. It's um, right, but I think some things. <clears throat> I think some things do continue to affect him. I yeah. think um, it, and they have had a precedent for a, a deep trauma like this affecting characters because they did it on Next Generation with Picard after Best of Both Worlds. Right. Like, they did a reset button to some extent, but they mm-hmm. followed up with that and they continued up through season three of Picard right. to address the trauma that Picard went through in becoming Lacutus and right, being assimilated. Right. Like that, this is not on that same level. This is, you know, this one episode thing, but I don't know about you guys. I remember this episode so clearly because it mm-hmm. affected me so much because it seemed so cruel and so, important for O'Brien's character and to see how he did react after this you know, 20 years of treatment. Um, it just seems so awful yeah. to me. Yeah. And, and, and how does he survive and how does he get along? Does he get along? Um, right. And what does he hide? What does he learn to do in order to cope and to quote unquote, get on with his life. Whew, boy, you stri- I mean, it strikes pretty. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no it's, it, it absolutely strikes, you know, close to home for me. I've been through some traumatic stuff in my life. I, I lost a child a number of years back. I've been through two really horrific divorces. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, during which case I was homeless for a little while, or I was living in an apartment with no furniture. And, you know, how did I, and today I have an absolutely wonderful life. I have this great conversation with you guys, live in a wonderful home in a wonderful neighborhood. You know, things, can't, things did bounce back for me, but do I compartmentalize and how do I deal with things that are difficult? Yeah, you're right. It changes you forever, without a doubt. Wow, a lot heavier than I expected to <laughs> dig in. Let's at least transition over to Aaron to get his thoughts. Maybe he has something less dire to say about this episode. Let's find out. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, it's definitely, uh, yeah, I, 
yeah, it was a very cruel episode. I, I don't remember this so much from when I was younger because I I wasn't particularly deep when I was a kid. I was like, yay, laser guns and violence and all that. Pew, pew, and so, pew. Yes. So I, I didn't appreciate this as much then as I do now. So I actually really enjoyed the psychological study and everything. Because, you know, nowadays that's like what I'm all about is breaking down the characters and what makes them tick and stuff like that. And I absolutely love that. And I think for me, the thing that I really ended up latching onto for this episode was the idea of how that technology works exactly. Um, Cause they were, you put the memories in, but is it like a scripted memory or is it something that's more interactive? They said they customized it for the inmate, but the whole thing, like him having that mysterious cellmate, and how that whole thing ultimately goes with, with them having the fight. And then, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but um, it ends poorly. And, and I wonder how much of that was because that's what miles was really feeling at that time or how much of that was scripted, you know, Hmm. it it just, it, it just seems to me like the more I think about it, the more the depths of the cruelty of this particular punishment really was. You know, like, is is it inevitable? Is 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 he always going to suffer that um, hor- horrific act at the end, or um, is it, it? Could it have gone differently for someone else? Interesting. Yeah. So that 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 to me was the big question watching this, and, huh. and that's kind of what mm-hmm. I've been mulling over ever since I saw it. Wow! Wow! Mm-hmm. Heavy stuff, and a heavy pack of episodes, without a, without a doubt about it. So, mm-hmm. awesome! All right, well, here comes to the part, and this is funny because we're going to roll the entire episode into one. Uh, let's each of us pick a favorite and a least favorite, and uh, I will kick it to Jen first. So, Jen, favorite and least favorite of all six, including obviously Bar Association. Oof. Um, favorite is Bar Association. I mean, maybe I'm biased to pick that one, but like, it is one of it's a really great episode and it, it takes a lot of things I believe uh, into account. Um, And it's, it's it's a great episode. So bar association for my favorite out of this pack, Um, least favorite um, sons of Moog. Yeah. Yeah. It's just doesn't have the same punch and impact as the rest of them or the, Ducat. Yeah, because well, and be, probably because also yeah. it's it's centered around a super regular guest star, and then once he's gone, literally yeah. never heard from again in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah, I totally hear it. Aaron, how about you? Ah, this is a tough one because I, I gotta say I actually really enjoyed all these episodes. Yeah, same. Uh, no, I got gotcha. you. Uh, <clears throat> if I have to pick a favorite, I probably would have to go with Rules of Engagement. Um, I just, I just had so much fun watching that episode. Kong you know, Kong. Yeah. I, I, I'm a sucker for procedural law. I, I just, I, I, it was so fun for me. Least favorite. Um, gosh, I don't know. It's, I, 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 I would probably have to go with, um, I think Ascension, um, and, and and again, like I said, that by no means me to me means that it's a bad episode. It's just out of that bunch. It was the one I least got into overall, I think. 
I hear you. Gotcha. Well, I am going to actually echo your clong clong and mm-hmm. say that that was also my favorite. I just, it was mm-hmm. so intense with the Starfleetness and the Klingon and the skeevy Klingon lawyer. And, <laughs> and, uh, I love dress uniforms. What can I say? But no, it was a great story. And I, I love the asides and, and kind of different ways that they told the story. And, and again, O'Brien really got highlighted in that one as well as being a, being an expert on Star Trek, uh, Star, uh, Starship combat and just, being great, the most important person in Starfleet history. And uh, yeah, for me again, yeah, Sons of Moog, I think, you know, echoing uh, what's been said, because again, it's centered around a very irregular, I won't say irrelevant co-star, but of someone who this is his one and only appearance uh, in Deep Space Nine, kind of like Q has his one and only appearance as basically a throwaway episode early in the series. It's kind of like, oh, okay, and then never heard from again. It's just really not that... uh, not that vital so uh well cool all right well guys guys that wraps us up uh aaron welcome to the team i think that i think you uh, i think you passed preliminary around so you're now in the you're now in the stack uh of future talent where do people find you out there uh on the socials and things of that nature uh, well, you can find us, uh, my uh, chapter at USS Rhapsody. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. And my other uh, fan group that I that I run is uh, Michigan Ghostbusters Team GBMI. You can also find us on Facebook. And we are on YouTube as well. We just recently had our anniversary special, uh, that our reunion special that launched this past Halloween. That's out there on YouTube if you want to go Sweet. check that out. Good deal. All right, Jen, how about you? I have a link tree, which is linktree.com slash Jen Watson Art. On there, you can find links to my Instagram, Facebook, Etsy shop, currently on vacation, but will be back sometime soon. And, of course, my Screen Rant author page, where you can find all of my articles. Awesome. linktree.com slash Jen Watson Art. And I always like to talk about how proud we are of Jen and her awesome work <laughs> on Screen Rant, Screen Rant. And I read uh, some, if not all, those articles, most definitely. But, yeah, definitely Thank go you. check that out. Well, I uh, actually quit Twitter X this week. I deleted it. Um, you know, when, when you start seeing, um, companies and some of the biggest media outlets in the world, abandoning a social media site, the writing is on the wall and I may be the last horse crossing the finish line, but I'm done. So I'm now entirely over on threads where I am C3 Carpenter, spell it out. I'm also on Instagram, uh, same, but, uh, over on threads, you can also find us secret.friends.unite. Uh, is our handle there. Uh, but as mentioned with SFI, uh, my uh, wife, April, and I do run the USS Grand Petoskey. We are one of the biggest chapters uh, in SFI globally. We're based here in West Michigan, uh, but we have chapters all over Michigan, including Aaron's, uh, and Eastern Canada, of which I actually am regional coordinator of Region 13. If you are a trekker within the sound of my voice, please visit sfi.org to learn more about the organization uh, or certainly give uh, Region 13 or USS Grand Petoskey, a Google, and find our websites if you'd like to be connected with Trekkers in your neighborhood. All right. Well, with that, friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Be the Starfleet that you wish to see in the world. (laughs) This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit SecretFriendsUnite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server. Or follow at SecretFriendsU on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.